Alright everyone, welcome to episode 76 of Tunes Made. I'm Mark. And I'm Ray. And Ray, we are counting down Rock Hall 2023. There's been a lot of buzz about this one this year. They put basically it all over Disney+. Plus, and then the other night they re-aired it on ABC. So it wasn't this, hey, we're going to wait a month to put it on HBO this time it was primetime. Yeah. Yeah. They kind of, I don't want to say they commercialized it because it was already commercialized it. They just went another step, you know, they kind of, they're kind of exposing it more. Right. They're saying, you know, we got this thing and it like so many partnerships with Disney, it becomes this bigger thing. Right. Yep. Yeah. Well, it struck a chord with me. I, <laughs> as always, I love recently how they're really mixing up the inductees. And, you know, once again, we can go from top to bottom, but it was a really good show. I really enjoyed it. Of course, Kate Bush, who was inducted, did not show up because I don't think that's part of her dynamic to do that. But I would imagine since she was, looks like from what I can see, this was her third nomination and she made it in. I'm imagining Stranger Things helped her out. You can't help but think it, right? Kate Bush is kind of, well, if, you know, if you know alternative music, if you know British music of the 80s, you know, you know Kate Bush. But for a lot of pop music folks, they might have known a little bit about her. Maybe they knew running up that hill a little bit. But even then, you kind of, you know, a lot of folks, I think, didn't really know that much about her or the, they only knew running up that hill. And you got to think the the power of that comeback of running up that hill and the, the significance of it really probably put her over the over the top. And the one question I had for you about this is she was really big in the UK. I mean, mm-hmm. if you look up her background, UK shines through and you've been doing a lot of different artists you're featuring you know you've been doing some uk charts is the rock and roll hall of fame are they considered international is it more of an american thing because that's what kind of got me it was like okay she's big in the uk but maybe not as big in the u.s you know that's a good question and i don't know the answer i don't know how they i've never really looked at how they promote themselves uh they certainly they can't help but be international and i mean we can we can list, I mean, there's there's a zillion and a half Brit- British acts that are in there, right? Oh, and, yeah. and And they've, they've made efforts to incorporate world music from a pop perspective as much as they can. Certainly the, the UK slash US connection is, I mean, it's the easiest one. You know, it's a little harder when you, you go outside of that, but they've, they've certainly tried to, to say, you know, rock and roll is something that, grew in the United States, right? It, it came, it was born here in the United States. And so there's always kind of a, a U.S. Uh, frame to the whole thing, but it's a lot more than just the United States. And so I think, again, the, the U.K. thing is the easiest bridge internationally. And so, yeah, I, Kate Butch has been huge in, in, in the U.K. I know you go back to the late seventies, you know, the, and, and her breakthrough hit Wuthering Heights, right. Which I mean, didn't even hit the U S hot 100, but went to number one in the UK in 78, you know, kind of sets that tone that this whole string of hits, she's really big. She feels British, right? <laughs> you know, some artists just, just, 
they they feel like they fit somewhere and you know in the way that like leonard skinner feels southern right it feels u.s right kate bush feels british and there's really really a connection there and and you can't argue with her significance as a an 80s artist late 70s into the 80s artist her her significance as a female artist yeah well she made it in and my memory and i know you were a huge fan of the peter gabriel so album and i believe it was side two because at the time i i did have the cassette and i remember flipping it over and listening to don't give up and i always wondered whose voice is that with peter gabriel and i remember oh it's kate bush who's that and then i from that album that's when i discovered kate bush that was my dive into her music which was interesting because you know, it's straight from Peter Gabriel, but he hand selected her to be on that album. Yeah, you know, it's interesting you mentioned it. It's on side one. I just double checked that on. But I love. I think so is a, is a tremendous album, and I uh, your similar story for me. It, it wasn't my introduction to, to Kate Bush. I mean, I knew Running Up That Hill. I, I'd heard of her. I'd seen her on MTV, but Don't Give Up was the one that that made me like, wow, I really like Kate Bush. Right? Like, you know, it was the song that that really hit home for me in terms of her vocal ability. And I love that song. Yeah. It's amazing how everyone discovers artists differently. And I think duet is a powerful way. You know, you remember the, was it Mike Reno and Ann Wilson back in the day? Mm -hmm. And I was like, Hey, wait a minute. Is that the same one from heart? (laughs) And then you go back, Mm -hmm. but a lot of my music exposure happened because I heard it from one and another and yep. because there wasn't that huge web out there that you could connect a lot of things. So you kind of had to do your own research, but that does bring me up to our next inductee, Cheryl Crow, who was all over the radio in the nineties. And I can't think of the nineties without Cheryl Crow. Yeah. Since that she broke, you know, she broke through and we all know all I want to do, right. The big breakthrough hit for not her first hot 100 hit, but she had charted with leaving Las Vegas before that, but that was the big one. 1994 summer to fall, just really, you know, it really, really made her a household name at that point. And then had the whole string of hits after that, right. If it makes you happy every day is a winding road, you know, my favorite mistake, soak up the sun. First cut is the deepest, right. I mean, we could, as you said, you can kind of make probably this decade long, right? 94 to 2004, um, not Janet Jackson's design of a decade, but Cheryl Crow's design of a decade. But the Jackson connection is interesting here because one of her earlier career moves was she was the a one of the major backup singers for Michael Jackson and when, and when he was doing the Bad Tour and even did like some of the duetting with Michael on stage and performed with Michael and his band. And so she had really kind of, you know, you see this with any number of artists, they, they build up a career of working with other artists or session musicians or they're, you know, they're writing and or performing with other artists and then they get their breakthrough and they, they, they really hit home. And, and so for Cheryl Crow, it, it's as much about, as you said, she's synonymous with the nineties and she really kind of is. But there's another angle to it, and that's that she's this long-time respected musician dating back into the 80s. Yeah, and she teamed up with anybody you can think of. I mean, that even was in the the speech that was given at the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame ceremony. 
You talk from Eric Clapton to Willie Nelson, you know, you can go all the way down the line. And the one thing I thought was interesting, though, that stood out to me was, yes, Sheryl Crow is respected. But at the same point, Sheryl Crow was pushing to get Peter Frampton into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because Peter Frampton was the one that introduced her. So it is interesting how some artists get in and others do not. And I know there's a whole voting and you have to get nominated and there's a whole process to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame just getting on the ballot itself. But it's interesting how some artists get in before others. And we've talked about this before, but it seems as though by the time they finally get the ones in that should have been in earlier, they're no longer around. Well, and that's a worry. I mean, Peter Frampton, you know, he, he can't play anymore. His He's got a degenerative, uh, I think, hand condition that keeps him from being able to, to play guitar. And, um, you know, that's the kind of worry with, with something like that is that somebody like that, he might finally get in well after the fact. And, and you know, Peter Frampton gets kind of lost in the uh, the haze of the 70s, right? His couple of big hits that folks know of course, I know him from playing uh, Billy Shears in the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band movie with the Bee Gees from the late 70s that, that you know, is laughable, but I love. And uh, so you're, you're right, though. It, it's interesting who gets in before whom. And I think that that really kind of segues us into our, our next artist, right? Missy Elliott has, is a inductee this year, this past year. And you know, this, I mean, string of hits, string of significance going back to the mid-1990s. You think about uh, women in in rap and hip-hop, and Missy Elliott's right there. But one of the questions certainly that comes up is, you know, well, should she have gone in before, like, salt and Peppa or Queen Latifah, right? You know, and it's, it's not a knock on Missy Elliott at all. In fact, it's a recognition of her significance, but also saying that, it's funny how the timing works for different artists, because I would expect that this maybe opens the door then for, for folks like Queen Latifah to get in, but Missy Elliott's in. Yeah, it is interesting. And once again, perhaps I know that Missy Elliott performed at the Super Bowl a couple of years back. So you just wonder, are there certain pop culture trends that trigger the momentum to get you here? And we don't know, but there's got to be some type of formula in that. And like you said, plenty of the songs, I mean, Get Your Freak On, that was huge. Yep. That Work It. You can work go it, down yep. the list of the dance songs that Missy Elliott has created, has represented, and really has made a cultural significance. But it's, once again, just about the timing, just like Peter Frampton, Sheryl Crow. Missy Elliott, Salt and Peppa. I mean, you can go down the list of there are other female rappers as well, but hey, she's got to be happy. And I know the community that she represents and the music she represents is ecstatic. It's yep. just a head scratcher sometimes. Yeah. And again, it, it's, you know, we, we recognize her significance. You know, wasn't Stevie Nicks, right? The first woman to be inducted twice right first as a as part of Fleetwood Mac and then as a solo artist and pe folks like well w wouldn't like somebody like Tina Turner be more <laughs> appropriate there you know right and, it and then Tina Turner was inducted twice 
And then, yeah, exactly. Right. So, you know, and so it, it kind of, it opens up that conversation and that's, you know, in the, in the end, a lot of times that's what hall of fames do, right. They, they open up conversations. We're going to, you know, we're, the timing's coming up that the, the, the baseball hall of fame voting is going to be coming, coming out and same kind of stuff goes on, right. Should so-and-so be in, should so-and-so not. And there's people on different ends of it. And, and yeah. a lot of this just becomes a, a, a way to talk about things and a way to remember these artists and celebrate music. And, and so these are the folks who get selected. And like you said, there's, are there cultural things that play a role here or not? And yeah. But you know, Missy Elliott's still deserving here. I agree. And I was just going to say, you think about Willie Nelson during his speech, he said, I understand that Johnny Cash got in in 1986, one of the first classes. Well, he was part of the Highwaymen, and he started going. It's like, so now that I'm in, why don't we get Waylon Jennings in? And, <laughs> and so he went down the road. But it's interesting. Johnny Cash, 1986. Willie Nelson, 2023. It's a pretty big gap right there. But it is interesting, once again, each artist will get their time. And we did a whole episode on Willie Nelson. So for all those out there that are wondering, what do the boys at tunes mate think about Willie Nelson? <laughs> Go back and listen to that episode. Uh, you know, that that's actually to this date, one of my favorite podcast episodes we've done. I just, when we got done with that one, I, I, I was so proud of that one. I think, you know, we, we celebrated his 90th birthday last year. And I think, you know, the, the point about Johnny Cash is, is, is an interesting one. And I think it, it speaks to what you mentioned with culture, that uh, Johnny got in because he's not only this successful country act who had some crossover, pop crossover, same as kind of Willie Nelson here, but, but Johnny's seen as the, the opening, one of that opening crowd in the late 50s with Elvis and Carl Perkins and, you know, going down the road of these country stars mm -hmm. who helped create what we know of as rock and roll in the beginnings in the 50s. And, and that's sort of predates Willie Nelson and his influence. And so I think that's your explanation for the gap. And it's only recently that there's been greater awareness of country acts that have been historically thought of as country and seeing them as rock and roll, you know, Dolly Parton made a big deal out of this a couple of years ago. She, you know, she got mm -hmm. nominated and, and then inducted and, you know, and she's like, well, I'm not really a, a, a rock singer, you know, well, and it's, it's like, well, I so appreciate Dolly's humility all the time, but at the same time, country is a, a significant part of rock and you can't really have rock and roll without the country influences and so willie's really significant and when you get to outlaw country he becomes you know he and Waylon become the the names that created that and the sort of alternative country market so it, it makes sense kind of how it all kind of played out that he <laughs> willie's not there till today but hey like, <laughs> like we're saying about you know, is Framp how long Frampton gonna be healthy and alive? Hey, Willie's still going. He's ninety and he's still going and he's touring and you know, we're thankful that he's able to be here. Yeah, totally. And it was interesting to see Dave Matthews up there with him and Cheryl Crow and Chris Stapleton. So there was a 
pretty big representation up there with Willie on stage during this Rock Hall induction. And you can tell that they were really honored to be there with Willie. So definitely go back, listen to the episode. We had a lot to say on that one. I'm proud of that one too. Got a couple more that were inducted in as artists. Next one that I know we haven't done an episode on George Michael, but we probably should. Yeah. Well, you know, and it's, it's sad because, you know, we're talking about that, that Willie's still here 90 and, and, you know, George isn't, you know, that, I mean, and to think that it's been seven years since he passed away and, and yeah, I mean, there, this is an interesting one because it's, it's on the one hand, I get where he maybe didn't get in before, especially when you think about the beginnings with Wham and how sort of bubblegum that whole thing is. And that sort of way that plays out culturally is uh, well, you're just bubblegum music, but, but George Michael became so much more than that. And if you listen to his stuff, you starting with faith and his, his first solo album, but really getting into the nineties and his significance for LGBTQ and his just, just his significance for dance music. And and so it's un- it it makes it both makes sense that he hadn't gotten in yet, and it's surprising that he hadn't gotten in yet at the exact same time. Yeah, I agree. And we talk about this. I know we talked in a couple other episodes about the how the Christmas or holiday songs chart every single year. Mariah Carey is always topping it, but I'm always surprised that every single year, Wham! Last Christmas, and we talked about this. Yep. There's games being played but that is always at the top of the charts. It's always in rotation. So you can't get away from Wham! Every year, you're going to hear it. Then you back up from there and you you hear a couple of the Wham! songs, but then all the George Michael solo songs. And the artists that can sing those songs, the way he put those together are, I don't think I have a word for it, but they were pretty intricate. Yeah, he had an amazing voice. and not everybody can do what he did and you're right there there's intricacy to a lot of this stuff there's there's homage to a lot of this stuff you think of the stuff he did with queen in the early 90s yeah uh i think i i mean i still you know one of his later hits was fast love in 96 and that's one of my favorites of all time mm-hmm. and it's it's how he really could capture where dance music was at whenever he was wherever he was at right whether it was capturing it with with i want your sex in 87 or capturing it with too funky in 1992 or certainly freedom 90 in 1990 or you know later with fast love and yeah we really should do like a a top five george michael ram definitely because what always got me was we always talk about covers of songs and i think George Michael has the ultimate cover. Don't let the sun go down on me. When he brings out Elton John in that song, that song is better than the original. Mm -hmm. Just George Michael doing it in that fashion. So like you said, we probably should spend a lot more time on George Michael because we can probably go on and on about him. But glad he got in. It was good that Andrew Ridgely was there to induct him. And then there was a whole host of artists that paid tribute to his music. Yeah, absolutely. And, and well-deserved. 
All right, so it looks like we have two more to go. Next. On the artists, yep. We had, let's do Rage Against the Machine, which was another interesting one because the only person that showed up was Tom Morello. <laughs> and the way he said it was, the rest of the group don't feel as the way I do about this. So I'm here to accept the award. And he just talked about the fact that he stayed true to his dream and he feels that his group were able to create a unique sound and inspire others. And that's why he still wanted to come accept the award. But if you think about some of their songs, I mean, they are, I guess I'll classify it as intense energy. <laughs> it's probably the best way I can <laughs> encapsulate their music you know this is an interesting one because rage against the machine had you know limited productivity i mean they put only put out four albums right and and in less than a decade and and they had they had more success even in the uk than they did in the u.s and at least pop success and so it's interesting you have to i to think about this a little bit but yeah part of it is it's the sound that they had and the, not only the sound, but the style and kind of to Tom's point that stylistically it made sense that the other folks weren't there. And part of this is because Morello himself has become an icon and for his activism, for his continued music and entertainment projects that he has been involved in. And so back to your point from earlier about, you know, what, what is it culturally that's going on that leads one person to be in or not? And I think Rage Against the Machine, even if folks don't know their music, they know of them. And, mm -hmm. and the name itself becomes synonymous with the 90s and punk, new punk and, and alternative styles. And then you add on Morello's significance afterwards and the things that he's been doing afterwards. And I think that brings the package together. Yeah. I mean, bring up a great point. Same thing. We talked about some of these artists, whether it's Willie Nelson, uh, you know, Missy Elliott, Rage Against the Machine. They've all had a very significant impact. The question is not really if they get in, it's just when, and because of voting and the way everything works, you land in here and Rage Against the Machine definitely had an impact. I enjoy their music. They did not perform, but I'm glad that they were able to represent and have people go, who's that? And then look up their music because once again, that's similar goal to Tunesmate. Well, and you know, this is, that's an interesting point about that similar goal to Tunesmate. The, the, you know, again, we're all about the music and the celebration of music. And if you think about where we've been already, we've been all over the map, right? We've got, yeah. Rage Against the Machine, this like like super alternative 90s stuff. You've got 90s pop with Sheryl Crow. You've got rap and hip hop with Missy Elliott. You've got country with, well, Sheryl Crow crossing into it a little bit, but certainly with, uh -huh. with Willie Nelson. You've got 80s pop with George Michael and, and Kate Bush. And then you got the Spinners, <laughs> right. who I, I actually would have guessed were already in again, you know? Same. Um, you know, another, you know, one of the sort of R and B soul groups and finally getting in after 60 years. Right. 
you know, I mean, this is a really eclectic class of folks that really represent the spectrum in the same way, kind of to your point about Toonsmate that we do, you know, we're really about the celebration of music and all of its forms and styles. So, so then we get the spinners. And I had to look back up because I cracked open the Billboard Bible, went down it, and I was like, wow, then came you with Dion Warwick. I forgot that was the spinners working my way back to you. I used to crank that thing, the rubber band man. I think I lost a knob back in the day. And then I'll be around. I think that's got to be my favorite one. But Yep, there's some amazing stuff in there. And I know I left out tons of hits that the spinners had, but those were the standouts. And I just, Ray, like you said, I thought they were in already. Yeah, no. And I'm right with you. I'll be around, be my favorite, but you start listing those down. Like, Oh my gosh, these are all like ones you, you just, you, you cranked up in there. They're, you know, these feel good songs that you would, you know, you would sing along to and, and people knew even if they didn't really know. Mm-hmm. And and you play in the car and you, you know, you'd play, you'd see them in, in movies and stuff. And yeah, just, you know, um, uh, you know, decades worth of, of success. And again, how were they not? Already? I don't know. <laughs> but, but, you know, again, it, you know, celebrating uh, an, a, a key part of pop music over the last six and a half decades. And that's vocal groups and R&B vocal groups and the spinners, you know, getting their just due by getting in. Agreed. And as we continue on, so those were the actual music artists, but then they had the musical influence award. And this is another one. You're like, well, wait a minute. They're not in already. DJ cool Herc, who is considered one of the founders of hip hop music back in 73. And you know, the father of hip hop, wait a minute, he's not in, but this was very fitting because this was the 50th anniversary of hip hop. So once again, you see the the coincidence here. There's a reason they're getting voted in and put in because there is a promotional aspect to it as well. Yeah, and again, that's where you know kind of like when we start where we started with the rock hall and thinking about who are they and what they are. I mean, a key part of what they do is is promotion and and so it it works out for DJ Cool Herc to get in to get in this year and the 50th and sort of, I mean, and again, you, you know, the, the, that hip hop started in 73 is, is a, I mean, it, it was around then. Right. right? And it gets identified then, but, but certainly the, the things he was doing back then and, you know, coming up with really sort of pioneering the break as a thing to do. Mm-hmm. And again, like you said, it, how is he not in already, but it, it's also a sign of, the increasingly understanding of the significance of hip hop mm-hmm. and rap to the development of rock and roll music over the last five decades. And, and he's put in as an, as a musical influencer and nobody's more fitting than DJ cool Herc to be in here. Yeah. It just, it just blew me away. You know, being a DJ understanding the significance of the two turntables, but then understanding, Hey, I'm going to use two the same copies of the record and extend the mix. And if you think about most music you listen to today, sure it's digital, but that's what's happening. So it was a pretty big deal. And I was pretty excited about that. And I'm glad that once again, this occurred, but I'm also glad about our next artist, 
Link Ray because Jimmy Page actually was the one that performed the song because you know Link is no longer with us. But wow, mm-hmm. did Jimmy nail it? I mean, it's a the song that everyone knows is is you know I know you know more about the song probably than anybody Ray, but it's it's amazing that just that instrumental song could have an impact on the future of rock and roll. Yeah. You're talking about rumble, right. Mm-hmm. And his, his big hit and the one that, that was so instrumental and uh, instrumental both ways, right. Instrumental single and just instrumental to the development of the use of distortion, the use of the tremolo, you know, the, you think about his significance then as someone who influenced how people play guitar. And so fitting that the Jimmy Page, right? One of the greatest guitarists ever and one of the most iconic guitarists ever playing, playing Rumble. I mean, that's a tribute to Ray and if there ever was one. Yeah. And if you get a chance, definitely go back, watch that and listen to it because Jimmy Page did a really excellent job. All right. Well, we got a couple more here, Ray. We've got the Musical Excellence Award. And I, you know, I don't, you know, just like, we talked about earlier. I don't understand all the ins and outs of the Rocker Hall of Fame, how they bring people in. But the next one under musical excellence is Chaka Khan. And I know we have probably our favorite song by Chaka Khan. We probably can say out loud right now, my guess. But she had so many. But this was another one. She's just getting in now. I, I would... I would think that she was already in. Yeah, this is kind of a, it's a head scratcher in two ways. One, I would have thought she was already in. I mean, you go back to her stuff with Rufus and, you know, her, and then her solo career in the 80s into the early 90s. I, I would have swore Shaka Khan was already in. And, but then also that she's in as a uh, musical excellence, yes. which is, 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 is good and all, but I would have thought she was in as a performer, right? You know, like the, the folks we've already talked about, because that seems to be where she would fit. I mean, in, in that sense, then anybody who went in as performer could go in as musical excellence, you know, you know, so, uh, you know, why would Willie Nelson be, be performer and not songwriter and performer and producer and blah, 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 you know, et cetera. So, so, but you know, the fact is she's in and she very much deserves to be in, I mean, you know, there are songs that people probably don't even realize were Shaka Khan that were Shaka Khan. And there's the stuff, you know, right. That, you know, feel for you and I'm every woman. And, and actually my favorite, which is not one that people know that well, but, um, you, you know, it, I know it, but, um, her duet with, uh, Peter, Peter Cetera feels like heaven is actually my favorite. Um, I didn't know that. that I figured you're going to go, I feel for you, but okay. I can I no. can see that. Do what? Yeah, no, I actually I feel for you is kind of so so on my list. It's just, I mean, it's it's iconic eighties, but um, but it feels like he- it feels like heaven early nineties. Uh, you know, just kind of barely got onto the the hot one hundred. It was an adult contemporary hit actually, and but it's also indicative. She worked with like everybody. Everybody. Like if you look at the folks that she worked with, you know, uh, Steve Winwood, Quincy Jones, Gladys Knight, Saida Garrett, Ray Charles, Peter Cetera, Barry White, De La Soul, right? 
And maybe that's the argument then for musical excellence, right? Michael McDonald, Mary J. Blige. I mean, Michelle and Dickio Cello, right? Like, like she's maybe you're building the argument. Yeah. She's worked with everybody. And I guess that's the argument for musical excellence then that, that here's somebody that is so respected as a performer that, that everybody's worked with her. Yeah. I mean, what's interesting about that is if you, my favorite song is ain't nobody. I always like that, but you went down that list and I just think you built the case. Yeah. That's it. I think that's, that's it. It's just, you know, as a performer, as a, just a respected musician. And so uh, Shaka Khan very deservedly in the, in the rock hall this year. And you talk about respected musician, the next I knew of, but I went down a rabbit hole on Al Cooper. Yeah. And I was amazed (laughs) all the things that Al Cooper has done. And he played the organ on Bob Dylan's albums. He played, I believe on, you can't get what you want. The, Rolling Stones. Rolling Stones. I think it was the English horn. I'd have to go back. But he was on so many recordings. But the thing that got me is I didn't realize he was the founder of Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Wrote their biggest hit and then left. Yeah, that's the that's the the sort of fascinating part of it. You know, you know, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. You're like, oh, okay, but no, actually, he wasn't there for the success. He he was there at the beginning. And then he went on and did his other stuff. And he was, you know, a a sesame musician. I mean, he played with everybody. He kind of, like you said, the the segue here from uh, Shaka Khan, Mm -hmm. somebody who worked with everybody and, and did all kinds of things, right? You know, he wrote TV scores, right? He, you know, he, he, he wrote, (laughs) he wrote for Crawdaddy magazine at one point. He, you know, he, it's sort of the, the consummate musical performer here is Al Cooper. And then later, he was sampled. We talked about Billy Squire being sampled. But then he was sampled by the Beastie Boys for his song Flute Thing. And also, he was sampled later by Jay-Z. So you think about that, that crossover into hip-hop, he even has a footprint on that. Yep. And there you go, right? It's musical excellence, right? He's his... It's a it's a matter of influence and performance and and quality of of musical career and working with so many other people, you know. And that's the idea of working with people, right? That may be mm-hmm. the common theme here, because when we get to the other person in inducted, hopefully, <laughs> he's known for his longtime partnership, right? Who might that be, right? <laughs> that would be Bernie Taupin, who. You know, maybe, I don't know, you know, I think we probably all at one point in our life had that moment where we didn't know who Bernie Taupin was, and then we knew who Bernie Taupin was, right? You know, where I'm growing up in the 80s, oh yeah, Elton John, Elton John, and then you learn, well, Bernie Taupin, and then you, oh, yeah, okay, I know Bernie Taupin. So, you know, people know Bernie Taupin because if they just start following things a little bit, you end up knowing who Bernie Taupin is and his longtime collaboration with Elton John is of course the, the, the big, you know, line item on his resume. Yeah. 
unbelievable. I mean, you can go down, you know, Crocodile Rock, Honky Tonk, Tiny Dancer, Candle in the Wind, Saturday Night's All Right for Fighting, Benny and the Jets. I mean, you can just keep going. Even some of your favorite songs that I know for a fact, Ray, in the 90s and the 80s, I mean, those were huge songs. I mean, obviously, the whole Lion King thing, he took a break from Bernie, but just the sheer volume of hits that Elton John and Bernie Toppin collaborated on. I don't know if there's any other duo, perhaps the Rolling Stones may be the only other duo that I can think of that have written maybe the same volume of hits. Yeah. I, you know, if you go to old big band, you know, <laughs> old uh, show tunes, Rogers and Hammerstein or something, right. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I think that's where you got to go to to find, you know, I mean, you look at the other duos, Hall and Oates, not this many, right. You know, Lennon and McCartney. Well, maybe, maybe. you know, but, but I mean, they have the, the sheer volume of hits, but not the longevity, right. That, you know, they, they broke up at 1970 and, you know, you, you put their mm-hmm. solo careers after that, but those are solo careers, you know, they so they had the partnership for a decade, but then, not the longevity, the 50 years of, of writing hits together that Toppin and, and Elton John have. I, you know, it kind of is. Uh, how, how is Bernie Toppin not already in, in as well? And how would we ever play the Centune game without Elton John and Bernie Toppin? I mean, I mean they've given us so much to <laughs> counter back and forth with on, yeah. you know? I mean, how would we? Yeah, I mean, think about the the back and forth that you know the of of giving off song titles that we do. Elton John could, you Elton John and Bertney Toppin, you could do a, a couple hours worth of that. That would be easy. Yeah, that'd be rather an epic episode. Epic. Maybe we should do that live one day. <laughs> but congratulations! That would be the one for all time. I tell you. Yeah, I mean, Bertney Toppin, Elton John, Elton John performed. And Bernie obviously was in the audience, but it was a really great performance. I'm glad that Bernie was recognized. And then finally, the Amit Ergen Award was Don Cornelius. And everybody knows Don from Soul Train, but maybe people don't. But he had a significant impact on me because I would always watch this late night and i love that soul train dance you know the down the center yep that was unbelievable yeah i i mean he you know i think the reason he's in is is soul train i mean he had other projects that he did but but the significance of soul train is so is so important you can't you can't get around it and that he you know he hosted and 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 developed and produced that and everything and and it you think about the the yeah the Soul Train dance line and in the in the realm of dance shows, you know American Bandstand and everything. Soul Train took black music in the seventies and and said we're going to make this mainstream and we're going to make this something that 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 kids know and people know and people dance to and people know who the artists are and they they find these artists and. And so his significance is it just can't be stated highly enough. I agree. And this was another one where you know, 
he's not already in? <laughs> I mean, I've looked it yeah, up and right. Don passed away back in, I think, 2012. So, yep. You wonder the significance. I mean, obviously, we understood about the hip hop anniversary 50 years, but with all the music that's been already inducted, this just was another one where I was like, okay, I, I'm I'm glad he's in, but I already thought he was. Great class, Ray. I mean, once again, every year, I think the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame puts together a great class, said it was many different genres. I think each one of these artists had a significant contribution and always looking forward to the next one. That's just, I know Weird Al's going to get in one day. I think he should. I actually just recently was listening to a, a end of year show for Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me on NPR. And Peter Seagal had talked about that he had finally gotten to, inter- gotten to interview Weird Al Yankovic this year. And... I was just listening to that recently and I thought, you know, there's an argument here for Weird Al and I wouldn't be surprised if someday he's in. He's probably parodied a pretty good percentage of the inductees. (laughs) So they'd probably say, yeah, really right. Welcome Al. I mean, a lot of people forget that he did a parody of the Rolling Stones. It was called Toothless People. And you may recall that he, you know, Rolling Stones had a Ruthless People from the movie. But I remember hearing that song going, wait a minute, wait, what? (laughs) But it was all about losing your teeth. So it was, it was an interesting one. It was on one of his lost albums that nobody really knows about. But it is funny how. You go down the line, probably all of them in there already. Uh, either he, they were asked, said no, or he did one for them. Another great class down. It'd be interesting to see what we get in 2024. But, you know, again, a, a number of themes here, you know, of of working with others, uh, of of the breadth of, of genres that are covered, and a lot of, wow, they weren't already in kind of stuff going on but you know another great class all right well we hope you enjoyed the episode make sure to subscribe to our podcast and follow our blog and once again i'm mark and i'm ray and we will see you next time